rejected of God. March 14. It's my dad's birthday. Happy birthday, Dad. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Rejected of men. This talks about the Lord Jesus Christ being rejected. He was despised and rejected of men. Question is, why was he rejected? Why did we reject him? And why did God reject him? And for what purpose? Seems unfair, isn't it? That he came to save, and yet the people whom he came to save rejected him, and the one who sent him to save us had to reject him. So we'll explore those two topics today. Why was he rejected? And for what purpose was the Son of Man was rejected and the Son of God was rejected? Rejected of men. Psalm 22, verse 7. And all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head. This is a prophecy talking about Jesus Christ when he was led to be crucified. Not only they rejected him, they crucified him, but they also scorned him. Why was Jesus rejected by us? Because he's different. We reject people because they're different looking, they're different in their behavior, in their background. We reject Jesus because he wasn't from us, even though he was born just like us, but he came from heaven. We don't understand him, so we reject him. We reject Jesus because he looked different. The Bible tells us that he did not have the face, the demeanor that we esteem him as pretty to look upon. Meaning, to say it frankly today, those people that you make memes out of online and make fun of, that's the image of the Christ that we rejected. Reject them because they don't look pretty. We reject him because he looked different, he acted different, he talked differently, he behaved differently. And so it doesn't fit with our worldview, so we reject him. In John chapter 7, verse 46, the officer answered, Never man spake like this man. He spoke different. He taught, taught differently. The things that he say, the things that he do, it was so different that people could not accept it. Why did he have to say that? Why did he have to do that? Even his disciples were embarrassed at him. And they tell people to... Get away from him. When the blind man call out and the disciple says, leave the master alone. And Jesus says, no, let him come to me. He's different. Even from his disciples, he was different. Though he was born in a manger, we recognize the manger, but Jesus was the almighty God. We would think that if God acted and behaved like us, he was a king, he should be born in a palace, shouldn't he? Why was he born in a manger? We can't accept this. We accept something that we can understand. Why did the Creator became the creature? We can't accept this. Because we don't understand. And the reason why we don't understand, because we are so prideful. We don't understand when God humbled Himself. We don't understand when God condescended. When God came from a place on high and took on humanity. And we don't understand because we are so high-minded because we're so proud of ourselves, we're so prideful, that when we see someone who is humble, when we see someone who gave himself, we say, no, 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 this is not right. 
Because it brings out something that is dark in us. You see, the light is not something that we see. The light of Jesus Christ is the drawing out of the darkness that's in us. His humility draws out our boastfulness, our high-mindedness, our pride, our arrogance. That's what the light of Jesus Christ is bringing out. And humanity says, no, 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 we don't want, we don't want who, someone who come to expose those things that we have come to learn and to become familiar. And we're comfortable with this life. We're comfortable with where we are. And when Jesus came and he said, no, what you are doing is sin. And we say, no, no, you, you can't say that. No one has said that. And now someone comes and say, wait a minute, what you are doing is wrong. And we say, no, 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 this is, this is different. This is not from us. We need to get rid of this man. We need to get rid of this person who is so different, who is pointing out the things that we don't want him to point out. When Jesus said the thing that he said and did the things that he did, we don't understand, so we reject him. We said, no, 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 this is not God. This must have come from Beelzebub. This must have been the devil. It could not be God because God in our minds is different. God in our minds accepts our worship. And Jesus came and he said, no, you worship God with your mouth, with your lips, with your heart is so far from him. And they despise him. They reject him because he was different. Because we don't understand his humility. A king born in a manger died in a borrowed tomb. What kind of king is that? It doesn't fit our mold. And so they said, no, we, we want a king just like all the other kings. We want the king like the Philistines. We want that king. We want the king that we can see. And so Samuel went to God and said, Lord, they want a king. What should I do? And God said, give them a king. Give them what they want. They did not reject you, Samuel. They rejected me. We don't reject each other. We embrace each other. The one that, that we reject is God. We reject God because he's altogether different. We want to draw back and live in our dark, familiar surrounding because the light of Jesus Christ is too bright. It exposes us in a way that we don't want to be exposed. It's too revealing, too uncomfortable. We reject Jesus because he's unpredictable. We cannot predict what he would do. We cannot predict what he would say. You see, when you look at each other, even before we say something, we look, and if I smile, you know that I have certain intention. And so you smile with me. Certain predictability in our behavior that we come to know. But when we face Jesus Christ, he's unpredictable. We don't know what he will do. We don't know what he will say. And so we're afraid. Just like you have a friend, you have no idea what he will do. You don't want to bring him around. He might say something to embarrass you. He might do something unpredictable and it will be embarrassing. We reject Jesus because he's unpredictable. His behavior and his acts are unlike anything that we have seen. We cannot predict him. We cannot look at his face and say, oh, I think he thinks this way. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, no, you don't wash my feet. In his mind, he thinks, maybe the Lord says, oh, well, good for you, Peter. You, you don't think that the master should wash your feet. Of course you're right. The master should not wash the disciples' feet. That is not normal. But the thing that Jesus said was completely unpredictable. If I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. We have no relationship unless I wash your feet. The king of heaven became the servant king. And we don't understand. The things that he did is unpredictable. We can't predict what God would do. We can't predict what Christ would do. We need to observe. We need to take in. We need to be like Mary. You will bear a son. What's going through her mind? My God, what will people say? 
How will people receive me? If I'm pregnant, I'm not even married. And then she turned to the angel and she said, Be it unto me. I don't know. Do what you will. Be it unto me. The will of the Lord. Luke chapter 8 verse 53. And they laughed him to scorn knowing that she was dead. We reject Jesus because he does things contrary to what we expect others to do. Jesus does not think or act the way that we expect him to because he is perfect and we are sinful. Our minds are not God's. Our ways are not God's. We are altogether different than God's. God says higher heavens from the earth, so high as his thoughts from our thoughts. Jesus was on his way to the synagogue's leader's house, Jairus, and along the way, there were a crowd of people who came and began to press him, throng him. And then there was a woman that touched him, and then he perceived that power had come from him. Amid all of this that was happening, someone came to Jairus, uh, the synagogue's leader, and said this to him in verse 49. While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. So someone from the synagogue's leader's house came to tell him that his daughter is dead. There's no need further for Jesus to come because his daughter is dead. Verse 50, when Jesus heard it, when Jesus heard this, he says, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. Okay, when someone's dead, they're dead. There's nothing else to talk about. All of human history up to this point, when someone dies, we go home and then prepare for a funeral. That's what we do. That's the expected things for us to do. So when the daughter of Jairus die, people expect one thing. Let's go to her funeral. Let's give her a proper burial and let's weep for this young girl. But Jesus, he did something else. His behavior was not as they predicted. And he said, fear not, believe only, she shall be made whole. And then in verse 51, and when he came to the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the maiden. So only five people were there. The people who had vested interest in Jesus because the girl is dead. The disciples, he had 12, but he only took three. Why he only took three out of 12? Because he could not have people with doubts surrounding him in a time like this. He could not have people who questioned him. Let me see the holes on his side and the holes on his hand. He could not have those people with him at a time like this. At a time when it is the only thing that could happen is resurrection, you only can have people who put complete trust in Jesus Christ be there. You cannot have people who waver in their faith. Is she dead or is she alive? Jesus only took three. The ones that said, Lord, we don't understand. Peter might vocalize the thing that three of them might be thinking, but none of them dare to say except Peter because he speaks for us. Thank you, Peter. He speaks for us. Speak what's in our mind. And the Lord taught him. It doesn't mean that he does not believe in Jesus Christ. He just questioned and he vocalized out what he's thinking. The Lord took these three and the father and mother and all they wanted to do is see their daughter alive. That's the reason why he came to Jesus. And listen to verse 52. And all wept and bewailed her, but he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleep it. 
there is something fundamentally different about how Jesus approached death that we don't. And that is, he looked at death as something that is a temporary state. We look at death as something that is permanent. So he looked at death and he said, well, she's just sleeping. We look at something that's dead and we say, oh, that's sad. Jesus looked at death and he said, there's life. Unless a seed falleth to the ground and dieth, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings forth fruit. Very different perspective, isn't it? We look at the girl and we say, poor girl. And Jesus looked at the girl and he said, she'll live again. We don't know what will happen. We don't know how it will happen, but we do know one thing, that Jesus can make this girl alive again. Or at least three out of 12 believe this. Man's expectation is to judge based on what happened in the past. And Jesus came and said, the past no longer applies. The past stopped when I come. Jesus, when he came, when he was born, the past stopped. And here is a new era. This is a new time in our history when Jesus came. What is dead is no longer dead, but now alive. What is before hopeless now is hopeful. What was discarded now accepted. The time that Jesus came turned the course of history upside down. And what was one discarded and now received by God. What was one thrown aside and laid to die now is resurrected. That's what Jesus came to do. We judge based on our history, but Jesus says, judge not. Don't use your eyes. Don't live by what you see, but live by faith. Because I come to make the dead alive again. The girl is dead. Leave her alone. Let us bury her in peace. And that's what we say. Rest in peace. There's no peace. There's no rest in peace without Jesus. Rest in peace because they're, they are peaceful from us. They're resting from humanity's turmoil. They're resting in peace because they don't have to deal with me anymore. They're resting in peace because they don't have to struggle and strive in this life anymore. But there is no peace. When you don't know Jesus, there is no peace. You will not die in peace. There will come a place where you will go there and the Bible tells you specifically that there is torment. Remember the rich man and Lazarus, one on the other side of the abyss. And the man on the other side, the rich man, was in torment day and night. There is no peace in the places where people who do not know Jesus Christ go. There is no peace. There is no rest in peace. The only peace that they have is peace from us, from the living. But there is no rest. There is no peace in hell. When Jesus intended to wake up the sleeping girl, people rejected him. And in verse 53, and they laughed him to scorn. Now, look at verse 52. All wept and bewailed her. That's verse 52. You look at the dead and they gave her their sentimentality. They weep for her. They express their emotion. And then when Jesus says, don't weep. She's not dead. She's sleeping. And look at their reaction in verse 53. And they laughed. And they laughed. Their weeping for the girl turned into scorning for the Lord. They laughed him to scorn knowing that she was dead. What we know, what we understand is so different than the reality of God. God looks at things differently. And you know what? 
It doesn't matter what you see. It matters what God sees. That's the reality. What we see is temporal. What you see here, me, now, here, is temporal. But what God sees is eternal. It is eternally in heaven. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. He put them all out. Jesus is unpredictable. And when we've come to face his unpredictability, we scorn, we laughed at him. Because he does things differently than us. Jesus threw out the scorners and raised the dead girl to life. We cannot come to God with what we see, even when it's dead. God will make a life. God will see the impossible possible. To please God, we must walk with Him by faith, not by sight, not by our perception, our ability to figure things out or understand things. And no, no, not by scientific reasoning. You cannot prove God's existence with science. God created science. If science can prove God, then God is not God. God is beyond all of this. He was rejected by us because we don't understand Him, because He's different than us. But why was he rejected of God? Let's turn back with me to Isaiah 53. Yet, in verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. It pleased the Lord, meaning God was pleased that Jesus Christ was bruised and was grief, a man of sorrow. We cannot be accepted unless Jesus Christ is rejected. This is how salvation works. God is holy. For Him to accept us as unholy people, as sinful, fallen humanity, He has to reject someone that's holy, to accept someone that's unholy. This might sound contrary to you, but this is the dialectical aspect of God. God cannot be both good and bad. He's always good. And so for him to accept someone who is unholy, he has to reject the holy to receive the unholy. Let me explain. When God said yes to Jacob, he had to say no to Esau. The acceptance of Jacob's because they're different. The acceptance of Jacob means the rejection of Esau. But think about this. Between Jacob and Esau, Jacob was the deceptive one. Esau was the nice one. Esau actually was the good one. Jacob was the conniving one. But God chose Jacob, so he had to reject Esau. For what purpose? To save Israel. See, the plan of salvation is not one person. The plan of salvation is not one nation. The plan of salvation is for all humanity. Israel was rejected, Paul says, that you and I can be incorporated into God. The rejection of one means the acceptance of all. The rejection of the Son of God meant the acceptance of all. Think about Jacob and his life. What happened? He went, he worked, he labored, he amassed himself a great fortune. Sheep, cattle, multiple wives, concubines. 
twelve sons, daughter? What happened on the way back? Esau came out to meet him. Now Esau also did well for himself. But this is what happened when they met. Jacob told Esau, I have a gift for you. I have a blessing for you. God has blessed me with all these things, so I will bless you with the things that God has blessed me with. This is how salvation works. That God chose one to bless so that that blessing becomes a blessing for the house of Abraham, of Isaac, the promise, the chosen people, all of them were accepted because some of them were rejected. Jacob was accepted by God. God said yes to Jacob so that he can bless Israel. We are accepted because God rejected Israel for us. And God rejected Jesus Christ so that humanity can come into his acceptance. Jesus is perfect. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Meaning, there's nothing in Jesus that was not perfect. Not in his words, not in his demeanor, his decorum. Everything Jesus did was perfect in the sight of God, in the sight of man. No one had ever found anything that Jesus did was wrong or unlawful. Jesus was perfect. There cannot be an acceptance of the unjust unless God rejects the perfect one. Because when God rejects the perfect one, he can accept those who've been redeemed through the perfect one. God's pattern of redemption during Israel's captivity in Egypt was the sacrifice of a lamb and its blood smeared on the doorpost and lintel of the door. The lamb symbolizes the lamb of God, whose blood must be shed to cover the entryway into the human soul. In the old days, when Israel sinned, God instituted the atonement for the sin of the people by the slaying of the lamb. And when the lamb is slain, the blood of the lamb is smeared on the doorpost. The angel of death passes by. You saw the blood on the door. The angel of death does not come in to kill the firstborn. That lamb symbolizes the barring of death from entering to the people who heard God's commandment and who obey. Was it only for Israel or was it for all people who obey? Do you think that the Egyptian, if they believe what Moses says and did the same thing, would the angel of death pass them by? Yes. It was not specific to Israel. It was for all. The acceptance of one meant the redemption of all. Just the lamb was the salvation for all that believed. Pass forward after the time of Jesus Christ. The lamb had to be sacrificed yearly on the Day of Atonement for the nation of Israel. In Hebrews, we learn that this is a temporary state, meaning they had to sacrifice the lamb every year until 70 AD. After 70 AD, when the temple was destroyed, no lambs were sacrificed. At the Passover meal, they do not serve lambs. They are not allowed to eat lamb because the temple is destroyed and the lamb is no longer able sacrifice the way and pattern that is scriptural. So because it's no longer happened the way that God has preordained it to be, the Jews do not partake in the lamb anymore. It is forbidden to eat lamb because of that. Why God destroyed the temple? And why Israel no longer eat the lamb? Because it's unneeded anymore. It's no longer required. You don't have to sacrifice a lamb to God anymore. No more lambs have to die 
No need to worry. We will have lambs to eat and wool to make clothing. We don't sacrifice lambs. Israel doesn't sacrifice lambs anymore. Because we have Jesus, who's not temporal. We don't have to sacrifice him on a yearly basis on the Day of Atonement. He died on Calvary that one time and is sufficient for all eternity, before and after. For all of eternity, Jesus died once for all, the just for the unjust. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what background you come from. It doesn't matter what nation you're from, whether you're Israel or whether you're Egyptian. It doesn't matter whether you're Chinese or you're Puerto Rican. It matters not. As long as you have the blood of Jesus Christ, the angel of death will not come to you. The soul, your soul is guarded by the blood of Jesus Christ because this blood, unlike the lamb that was imperfect, this blood is perfect for all eternity. It is undefiled. You don't have to do it again every time you sin. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to wash away the guilt, the condemnation, and sin for all eternity. The sacrificial lamb was a temporary substitute, but Jesus Christ is the eternal substitute for us. Though he was born a man, he came from God and died and resurrected and became our salvation. He does not remain dead. He is resurrected. Jesus is made sin, and therefore God rejected him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God was pleased to bruise Jesus for our redemption. Not only God's righteous servant bore our iniquity, he poured out his soul unto death for us. Your sin, your secret faults and sin that you committed this morning or yesterday is laid on Jesus on that cross more than 2,000 years ago. Every sin that ever committed is laid on this man. That is why God looked at Jesus Christ. The just one became the curse for all of us to be saved. The prophecy that said he was numbered with the transgressors means just this, that on that cross, Jesus Christ bore our sins, became a transgressor in the eye of God. He rejected Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ bore our sin. The just one became rejected because he took on humanity so that he can take all human sin and put on him and die on that cross. And so God rejected the Lord Jesus Christ so that those whose sin has been put on the Lord Jesus Christ might be made righteousness in him. That is how this exchange worked. The just one became unjust, not because of his own doing, unlike us. He was perfect but because he willingly take your sin upon himself. He said, no one take my life. Jesus says, do not mistake this. No one take my life, but I willingly lay down my life for my sheep. He did this for us willingly because he loves us. Galatians 3.13 put it this way. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us, for it is written, curse is everyone that hangeth on the tree. Jesus died on that cross. When Jesus hung on that cross, he was a curse. You know what a curse is? A curse is something that is rejected of God. A curse is something that you cannot take away from yourself. 
He took our sin on that cross and became a curse. We cannot bear the judgment of God on our sin. Do you know that? If God were to judge us, we cannot bear it. And therefore, eternally, we will be judged, repay for the, the sin that we can never fully repay. The Son of God took on humanity for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus Christ was made sin so that we can be made the righteousness. Jesus Christ was rejected of God so that we can be accepted by God. And He did this willingly for us. The second person in the Trinity willingly sacrificed Himself for us. No greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Lastly, for acceptance. Luke chapter 17, verse 25 but first, he must suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. When God intends to save us, he will succeed in saving us. But first, his son must suffer. Read the story. He sent the laborers, they killed the laborers. He knew they were going to kill his son, but then he sent his son, and then they killed him too. First, the son must suffer the consequence of transgression against the holy God. We ask, why does God do this? Why does God allow his son to be mocked, to be scourged, to be scorned. Why did God allow this to happen? Why didn't God just allow Jesus Christ to get on that tree and be crucified and get it done? Why did he have to go through this mockery? Why did he go through this trial? Why did he have to go through the spitting, the slapping, the carrying the cross? To show us how depraved we are. To show us the gravity of our sin to show us what we would do to someone who's unlike us, who's different than us, to bring out that darkness of the soul that we think we're good. He brought the light out there, the holy, righteous one, and look how we treat him. Humanity, nowhere to stand on when you stand in front of God and God says, look what you did to my son. Look what you did in your sinful nature, how you treated someone who is holy and just now the Apostle Paul says, if you've done wrong, then it's right for you to be persecuted for doing wrong. But what did Jesus do? That we treated him that way. What did Jesus do for you and I today that we continue to mistreat him? Continue to reject him? Continue to care more for me than for the one who loved and died for me? He sent Jonah to Nineveh. They have no idea. Until Jonah showed up and told them, look, you guys are not that good. And God will punish you. The whole nation repented. God wants to show us who we truly are. The depravity of our heart. Jeremiah says, the heart of man is desperately sick. Who can understand it? If I'm able to see my heart, I don't know how I would live. The Son of God came to draw out so we can see how depraved we are. The rejection of the just, Duke chapter 9, verse 22, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things, again, suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, to be slain and raised the third day. The completion of salvation requires Him to show us our 
nature, our sinful nature. We reject him because he's different. God needs to show us that we are different than him. And then he must die in the hands of those who came to save and that he must live again on the third day. We do not write God's redemption plan. The hero of God's story does not have a beautiful appearance. The Bible tells you that we don't even want to look on him. When we see him, we turn our face. There's no record of Jesus Christ, his image, that is. Before him, there were, there were people we see in inscription, we see statue of people made. There's no statue, there's no image of Jesus Christ whatsoever in our history. Why is that? We don't want to look upon this man. Only when he died are given the revelation of who he is. But when he lived, and remember, he lived a very short time, 33 years. We cannot understand the reason behind the things that he did when he beckoned us to come, and you would not come. In the end, when we're given a chance, we want Barabbas, we want the murderer, and rejected the Redeemer. We slew the just and crucify the Prince of Life because we reject him. And on that cross, the Father rejected him. On that cross, he cried, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The father, at that ninth hour, turned his face from his son. The man who knew no sin became sin for us, and he died on that cross. So that we might be accepted by God. John chapter 3, verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus said this before his famous. In the wilderness, when the people rebel against the Lord, God sent fiery serpents, and they bit the people. And the Bible records many of them died. God commanded Moses to make a brazen serpent, put it on a pole. You know why he had to make a brazen serpent? So that when he put it on the pole, the light would shine and people can see it. There's so many people. And this is what he told Moses to tell the people. All those who are bitten by the serpent, this is what you need to do. Look on that pole. Look on that serpent on that pole and you'll be saved. And this is what Jesus Christ is saying. When he referred to the same passage, he referred to himself being lifted on the pole. He referred to himself as this rejection of God on that crucifix. Our iniquity, our sin, caused many to die. Then people ask, where the serpents come from? They've always been there. Why didn't they bit the people all this time? God prevented the serpents from coming out of the ground to bit the people until the people rebelled, until the people sinned against God, and God said, okay, let me take my hands away from these people for a moment. And the serpents came out and bit the people. You think that we live in this life in relative calm and peace because we deserve it, because we made all this happen this way? Do you think that this virus is one of a kind? You think all of the disease that is possible are the permutations of all the possible virus and bacteria and disease why don't we see more of this? It's God that's putting things under his control. The minute God releases his hand, you will see they start coming out of the ground. Do not be deceived. It is God that sustains us. Do not be deceived that his hand is keeping all things in check right now. And when he takes out his hand a little bit, and we'll see what happens, just like the people in the wilderness. They thought 
Everything is fine. The water's always been there. It's God that shows them it's in the rock. The serpent's always been there. When God took his hand out, they came out. The disease and the famine, all these things are all around us. It is God's grace that we're not experiencing them yet. And Jesus, when he was nailed and lifted up on the cross, he is this symbol of rejection of God. Jesus used this prophetic allusion in the Old Testament to talk about himself because of this one powerful statement. Moses says, just look at the serpent. Moses says, look at the serpent and you will be healed. There's no other demands from the people besides look at the serpent. Just look at the serpent. Salvation is in Jesus Christ. All we need to do is look at Jesus Christ. This is what he meant. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up. If we can see Jesus Christ, we turn our heads and lift up our eyes and look at Jesus Christ on the cross, we will be saved. Will you turn away because of your impaired vision? You can't see? You look away because he's so marred, he's so ugly, that you don't want to look at him? God said, look at him. Look at my son and you will be saved. Will you obey? Lord, we come to you asking that you would turn our eyes, would turn our hearts toward Jesus Christ on that cross today. That we reflect on the sacrifice that you made, the rejection of the just one, so that the unjust can be redeemed through your son, Jesus Christ. Will you bring us today to the door of salvation that we may behold, we look and behold the Son of Man lifted up on that cross to bring all toward the Lord God. Lord, draw us today, draw us right now into communion with the Lord Jesus Christ that we behold Him not because we are able to understand Him in any measure but that we trust in Your Word, we trust in Your commandment and we simply want to obey. We want to obey You. We want to live our lives in a way that's pleasing to you. Use us, Lord, as this generation has been redeemed from the curse of the law, from the curse of sin and death, and give us a new life in you. Give us a new prospect in your grace. And we thank you, Lord. And I pray for all those who are here and all those who are at home. May your grace bring us to where we have not been before. And may we, may we behold the Lord Jesus Christ this day and glorify you in the name of Jesus. Amen.